Good evening, everybody. It is Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying safe. Hope you're enjoying another day on lockdown. The stay-at-home orders have been lifted in some places around the country. And as I've said on other episodes, myself and others, we're still here doing the same old, same old every day until at least the end of May. We don't know what's going to happen as of June 1st. But what's you know we'll just kind of wait and see. But like I've said before, it's important to stay busy, stay active as much as you can. Listen to music, read some books, watch some Netflix, talk on the phone, have conversations. Try to remain social with people. Try to reach out to those friends you haven't talked to in a while. Have some fun. Have some laughs on the phone. Find a way to keep the mind fresh and keep it active. I'd like to welcome our next guest on the podcast. He is a renowned L.A. promoter. Some people refer to him as Mr. 80s. I'd like to welcome Julian Douglas to the Hook Rocks. What's going on, Julian? How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Actually, I was in really great spirits until the way you started off talking about, uh, you know, being down on lockdown and how others, uh, you know, are are not uh, on lockdown. And, yeah, it was all in a great mood until you mentioned that because uh, I don't know if you're, you know, aware where you know you've got listeners all over America, and we're we're kind of freaking out out here right now because there's this mysterious uh, lack of information out there. Where late last night, um, one of the board officials of LA County came on and gave a speech, telling everybody that Los Angeles County was going to be under lockdown until August, and of course, social media erupted because if you're familiar with at least California, our governor has uh, given the shutdown till May 15th. So many of us have all just been kind of rejoicing that we're getting to that point where we finally may be able to start, you know, safely living life again, uh, whatever the parameters are going to be. And then all of a sudden we get this notification last night that, Oh, we're going to be on lockdown until August. Wow. Missed that one. And now today there's all these, like, I guess, uh, Mayor Garcetti came out and said, uh, we, we just want to let you know that uh, although we we have uh, announced and talked about a certain date, uh, that doesn't mean it's not flexible. You know, so now they're almost kind of, you know, backtracking a little on some of the things they said. And Newsom still has not even come out to give his word yet what's going on with the May 15th, uh, that original deadline. So it'll be real interesting to see how we lead our lives. And, you know, me... As a promoter, I, I, I'm sitting there. I don't think I've read the news, uh, which is not a thing that I ever want to do with the news these days. But uh, I can't imagine reading more news than I have just because of what I do for a living and how it affects so many people that I know friendship-wise and business-wise uh, being a promoter. Uh, and, yeah. So anyways, a little long, drawn-out thing. But, Jay, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. <laughs> you know, other, other than that, it's... It's Southern California, and you know, actually, the good news is today they've officially lifted the ban on beaches. So it's about 80 degrees out here in Southern California. We are officially allowed to go to the beaches. I chose not to go to the beach, but to talk to you. So that's how important it is. Uh, and mind you, though, we are allowed to go to the beach. We must wear a mask on the beach. So that should be some very interesting tan lines you're going to see on social media this weekend. Um, and uh, but mind you, and I, I, that was probably a bad thing to say because, Steve, uh, you're allowed to use the ocean. You can go swimming. You can go surfing. 
You are not allowed to use the bike pass uh, and skating of any kind. And, oh, yes, you are not allowed to sunbathe on the beach. So I should have corrected myself. So uh, I guess you may get some interesting tans wearing those masks as you walk across the sand to go use the water and walk back. So I just want to make sure, given my public service announcement, everybody listening out there, what is and what isn't allowed. So there you go. <laughs> well, it's interesting because it seems to be a common theme with what's been going on since what March where yeah really because it's so unprecedented and we don't know really know a lot about this virus we're still learning more about it every day it's kind of like well I think this may work I think this may work I don't know but the one thing that I've noticed is like there's no formal guidelines as to what you should do when you step out of the house and I think Everybody needs to come up with something, get on the same page or whatever, because it's we know it's serious. I'm not downplaying the seriousness of it because it, oh is, God, yeah. it, is, it is deathly serious. Can't agree more. Right. But you got to communicate. You got to tell people what's expected of them when they leave the house and what you have to have, on, yeah. whether it's a mask, whether it's gloves, what, how far away you have to stay away from somebody, what capacity levels are going to be like, whether it's the grocery store or restaurant, wherever it is. That needs to happen, and I don't see a lot of that, and I think that's what's part of the frustration with everybody, you know, uh, trying to figure out what what to do. Yeah, I think you, I think you hit the uh, the nail on the head right there, and there's no question about that. I think, unfortunately, we are very educated people these days due to access to social media, and with that said, how much is out there for us? And how many of us don't have a concept of really what we are supposed to be doing. Uh, you just got done saying that. My, my wife runs a, a restaurant in Hermosa Beach and serves there And uh, when she's not doing the whole actressing thing. And unfortunately, the whole actress community, acting and actress you know, community is shut down, just like the whole music industry. And yet her restaurant again, uh, just reopened recently, just doing takeout and delivery, doing that famous thing. Uh, and they're a high end kind of raw seafood type of place. So it's very tricky for her. She's not able to return to work because the work is not there. There's all this info being given out and nothing is being said about the restaurant industry in a whole. When will that open up and how will it open up? Obviously, we, you and I, I'm sure, can sit here just like everybody else saying, especially the people in the restaurant going, hey, the restaurant business has got to be one of the cleanliest in general businesses there, there is because they've always are dealing with health, health inspectors. And they would be a place that would think easily enough, what do we need to, to do to open up? What, is, what are going to be the guidelines for us and the safety of our patrons that are going to be coming in so that we can start implementing that or getting it ready to go? But again, there's no information out there. There's nothing being said. And then that goes back to like, here I am, Mr. Concert Promoter, and here you are talking about rock and roll every day. You want to talk about mystery. That's probably the saddest part of all because in California, we they've uh, deemed the term, you know, stages and stage four, the last stage is concert. So we sit here in California going, uh, well, what's that mean? Because originally the governor here said right off the bat, this was like you said, back in March, right off the bat, there will be no more concerts and there will be no sporting events until 2021. 
And that was the law that was handed down. And yet here we are, we've got gray areas with certain dates and certain things opening. And they keep talking about bookstores and retail stores and there'll be pickup, but you can't go in and you can do, so they're at least starting to show guidelines, but they've reiterated that there's a couple things out there like concerts that will be the very last to happen. And yet again, they haven't even started to touch upon the whole aspect of what that encompasses. And that's, what's crazy in this day and age. It's not only you start going, well, you know, the first thing that people think when they hear, Oh, there may not be any concerts till the end of the year. You go, Oh crap. You know, that's i uh, I'm not going to get to see a live show till then. And then it gets deep because you think, well, you know, there's venues that have businesses. I just got done talking about my wife's restaurant. They don't even know what they're going to do as far as opening for dining and how they will be opening. Will it be 25% capacity? You know, who's wearing masks, who's, who won't, how, how is it going to work with the food? Are they going to have to put a plexiglass between tables? Who knows what? But the point is they know they're in there, but nobody's given them any kind of direction yet. You know, there's no formal letter that's gone out from the state of California saying when restaurants open, this is what you must do. Kind of seems like they would be able to do that. But here's the music business. And the music business, though, you people out there are dying for concerts. They want to see live music. But that's that's great. And we appreciate that. But it gets deeper because there's the musician and his family at home. There's everybody involved around music from the venue itself trying to figure out how it's going to continue to stay open and be a business, an actual, you know, brick and mortar location during this time, the employees they've had making sure they're still taken care of. And when they do open the doors, are those employees going to be able to come back and do that job? Or have they lost those employees that eventually had to go find work elsewhere that couldn't hang out waiting for the job to return. And, you know, you talk about all the vendors for that, you know, that are involved with these places and merchandise. And then again, when you're talking concerts, we just I mentioned something about restaurants. You think about concerts, you're talking, well, here I am out in, you know, the LA area, you know, are we talking about small venue places? I do a lot of work for St. Rock and Hermosa beach, which holds about 275 and then the Viper room, which is just around, you know, 300 there. So, are those venues going to be the first to open? And then how are they going to open? Will they actually even, how are they going to pay the bills coming in? That's one of the things as a promoter, I sit here trying to figure out going, you know, it's the old adage, you know, that any musician, I'm sure you've ever talked to any band that plays anywhere, they feel they're worth X amount of dollars and they want this. And of course, every venue goes, well, we tend to disagree and we're going to pay you this. And, and unless they're in an established band and they have a certain contract and that's all there is to it. But the point is, you know, bands can't get wait to get back to work and play music in front of crowds, but all these bands just can't go back to work because it is work and work for nothing. So how are these venues going to have the money to pay what they usually do when, when they do open the doors, what kind of capacity are they going to have? Is it going to be 25%? And then, you know, how deep do you get into that conversation? How are they even going to set up venues? Restaurants are easiest. You know, you, you stagnate the, ta- the tables. You, you could do plexiglass. You, you know, restaurants are easy. They've got it made, so to speak. Uh, not, I wouldn't say make, get it made, but you, you, at least you understand what I'm saying. Where venues, 
I, I wouldn't even understand how a venue opens its doors unless you're a sit down venue. And still at that point, you know, it's bad enough when you go to a show and you see everybody lining up trying to get into the show. Imagine like it's, a, you know, December, they finally start doing shows and it's rainy and cold and snowing someplace. And you have like little markers for every six feet that people have to stand going all the way around a block until the doors open. And even when they do open, they have to seat them in these seats, like say every third person and then skip a row. And then, and then you sit there going, you know, this is the little things I think about as a promoter, you know, the, the venues make their money at the bar. So how is the bar going to be running? How many people are allowed to get up out of their seat and go over to the bar? Will there be bar service that way? Or will it be only, you know, server serving? And at the bar, let's face it, whether it's regular bars where people go out to a dive bar to go have a drink after work or whatever, to a bar in a venue where everybody goes to take a break from the show and talk or hope to find that person to maybe make breakfast for in the morning or something like that, how is that whole going to thing function? I've seen uh, some places talk about they're going to start putting bar seats six feet apart. Like, like you can imagine the one guy trying to pick up on the one girl and he's yeah. like shouting across from her. He's and, like I a mean, megaphone. So I, yeah, <laughs> who knows? So we're really in just bizarre unknown territory here of where some of this is going. I'm sorry. I started talking to you off there, but see, no worries, we're, man. we're all locked in at home. We have nobody to talk to and see. I'm a music promoter. I'm used to being on stage with like 10,000 people talking to a crowd. And my first chance again, I get to talk to you here, Jay. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little excited. Sorry. <laughs> well, no, it's, we, we're going to get to all that. And, you know, that's really the, the topic, topic of conversation is how is this pandemic affecting the music industry, the club industry, the live performance that you know that I love to go to that many of my listeners do. Let's back up a little bit real quick. We always start the show the same way and that is the essence of the podcast. Just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan has a moment whether it's an album, a performance, a song or band that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Oh, for me, the hook for me it, it was music. Uh, music hooked me and uh, there were certain artists back in the day. I, I tried my hand. I guess I'm fast-forwarding a little to go back to your, your question. I tried my hand back in the 80s being a, a rock star. I was a singer in a bunch of bands that never amounted to anything. Uh, but I always had that in my blood. And as the years went by, my, I got very fortunate that a lot of the bands that I were, was around and worked with and knew and became close friends with in the day, the, the joke is they all made it famous and I did it. But what that allowed for me is years down the line, it gave me an in that nobody else had, especially out here in Southern California. So when I started getting into the so-called promoting business and trying to work with venues to get certain bands in and get people to know that they're there, I could pick up the phone and I could call many a famous bands that weren't doing anything at the time. And I, like I said, I had that in that nobody had. Now backing up to what you just said for me, you know, I, I was a lot of kid. I, you know, I lived, you know, in the Valley in the seventies, my mom worked for the airlines and she was never there. And, you know, she always tried her best and did everything fantastic for me. But for me, it, it was music. And I remember 
probably one of our, our first Christmases here in Southern California. And, uh, she, she bought me a little, you know, old record player, one of those horrible mustard yellow, all in one little plastic record players where, you know, it looks like a little teeny suitcase traveling case. And then the thing comes down and they pull the speaker out and, Oh, it was so bad. But that, that was my first, that was my first essence and, uh, to rock and roll. And, and what she did is she bought me a, a bunch of records. And my first selection of albums back then, she got me a, a Kiss album and like a Paul McCartney album and a Queen album. And, and, and that was it. And I started just playing those like crazy. And anytime I could find one of them on the TV channel, that was, that, it was all over. You know, I, I remember sending in my little thing to become part of the Kiss Army back then. And, and you know, and, and then believe it or not, it's funny and comical as it seems, a lot of this music I knew, of course, from my mother growing up, but now it was mine. And my mom was always gone. So that was, that was all I had. You know, rock and roll was my babysitter. <laughs> I know that's a, that's a funny thing to say, but rock and roll is my babysitter. And then I started getting into, you know, back in that day, I got into all those glam rock bands at the time. And I was so into sweet and, and of course, you know, David Bowie. And the next thing you know, is I'm that, you know, that kid dancing in front of the mirror, singing out loud and, you know, trying to imitate all these artists. And who would have known that that was also the kind of the little preclude or prelude to me one day getting out on stage with a microphone in my hand. And at the same time, doing what I do now, you know, anybody will tell you the minute I'm out, you know, I'm getting ready to introduce a band and talk to the crowd and get them pumped up and fired up. It, it all goes back to that first, those first moments when I put the needle on the record and I heard kiss and I heard, you know, queen and, and that was it. It was like a light bulb went on and I just was like, wow, it, it hit inside. It wasn't just music to listen to and go gardening or riding my bike. It was like, I, I feel this and that, that was, I guess, there you go. I guess that was, that was my hook. Rock, rock and roll was not babysitter. So there you go. And <laughs> yeah. You know, I, we kind of had similar upbringings where, you know, I would come home from school. My brother would get home too as well. And my mom and my dad wouldn't get home till like five, five thirty. So we had about two, two and a half hours of just ourselves. And more times than not, we'd have MTV on or be, be listening to music you know, and it's very true, you know, without rock and roll, I don't know, I might have gotten in trouble, I might have been out on this, you know, walking up and down the neighborhood looking for stupid stuff to do, but I was home listening to albums, you know, reading the liner notes, looking at the artwork, absorbing the music, and I think that's why our generation has such a connection to music, because we absorbed it so differently than it is now. I mean, it was an event, you know, I've often tell the story to my son, we didn't buy multiple records when we went to the record store you know we maybe bought one we bought one maybe two and that was good for like two months you know those records were like you know because it it took time to dive into it and know every song there were no fillers on, on any of the albums back then you know they were all written accordingly and recorded and they were all good songs or most of them were and now you know now you see where people are you know, click and download, click and download, click and download. And before you know it, they got like a hundred hours worth of music that they just bought that they're going to skip through and not listen to it. Like, you know, maybe they'll listen to it three weeks from now after you're done skipping around 
Because that's one thing I've noticed too is people skip and skip and skip and skip. There's no, you know, letting it just play, letting it just breathe. And that is a lost art form, the art of listening to music. It's totally different now. Yeah, throw in there trying to communicate to some of the younger generation and explain a certain simple term, B-side. You know, when you use that and and they look at you with a deadpan look in their eye. You know, I say that with some of the bands we get in. Of course, my nickname is Mr. 80s. And uh, uh, here you go. I'm going to give a little, I'm going to give for you, Jay, something pretty good uh, that I don't give very often. Um, The history of where I got the moniker, Mr. 80s, is it's been kind of a secret. In fact, I rarely ever talk about it. Of course, certain people in the music uh, um, spectrum know about it, but it's kind of a funny story. Um, it goes back to one night many years ago on the Sunset Strip, and we're at the Viper Room, and I happened to be with uh, one of my close friends, Eric Singer from KISS. Uh, in fact, uh, happy birthday, Eric. Uh, it was Eric's birthday yesterday, so in case he happens to get listening, uh, I owe him that. Uh, and Eric is with, of course, one of his good friends, Chad, from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And we're just having a drink at the bar, hanging out, and he introduces me to Chad. And, you know, Chad's like, hey, I think I've met you before. And, and Eric kind of turns and goes, of course you've met Julian. Why, he's the king of the 80s. And, and I laughed, and I just kind of went, whoa, hold on now. No, 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 no. That's a little too much of a, you know, to, to, to give to me right there. I go, I love the honor, but. He goes, oh, all right, right, right. Well, Chad, it's Mr. 80s. And now, I think Chad reached over and he goes, Mr. 80s, nice to meet you, Chad. I'm like, yeah, I know, I know who you are, Chad. (laughs) And uh, we started bullshitting, whatever. And funny is somebody else came over and Chad, I think, turned around or something and said, hey, uh, do you know Mr. 80s? (laughs) And and it stuck. And Mr. 80s came from that. Um, so you sit there and I'll be talking to bands and uh, my point was going to be there that of course I work mostly with eighties bands. I've worked with tons of bands from the seventies and nineties, the current day, but eighties is my specialty. And again, it's because my personal connection with all of these artists strongly with rock and roll and strongly with new wave. I'm connected to both of them from back in the day. And you sit there and you talk to some of these kids at shows and they'll be coming up to me before the show and they'll be asking, you know, Hey, you know, what's so-and-so going to be playing the, the, this set? Do you have the set list? And I'm like, eh, well, you know, I can't let you know, but I go, there, it's going to be a pretty special set tonight. They're going to really be breaking out all the B sides and that you feel like you just lost the whole conversation because they, they stop and they look at you and they're like, what? And, and, and they sit there and I've had, I don't know how many times, what album was that? <laughs> uh, well, although they had one or two artists did put out an album called the B side. No, that this was not an album of theirs. You know, I, you know, the, the cuts on the, the, that really cool hit that kind of also became a hit, but was not as big that, you know, was the flip side of the, you know, the, the, the little EP or the you know, 45. The, the little 45 yeah. and, and don't even go there. Try to explain a 45 to some of the generation. Oh my God. I don't want to feel old, but um, that'll do it. We, we've lost. I think you also hit it on the head with uh, talking about clicking the downloads. Um, you know, albums in our day were, were so important. They were important. You know what? 
that's something we're losing. I, I'm glad you, you brought that up because the artist is losing people listening to a lot of their music that that didn't happen two years ago. We all know, like you said, when you bought that one album, you put it on and you flipped the record over. You didn't just put it on and listen to one track. If you did, you bought a 45. You may at the end of the show have to, you know, explain exactly what a 45 is to some of the listeners, no offense, but, but that you listen to every track on the album. So it was a big deal. And maybe there were one or two that, eh, you know, wasn't a great song, but you just let it play through. You weren't going to go run over to the album and lift the needle and go put it forward because God knows how impossible it is to get the perfect start to that song. But those artists, you know, they wrote those songs. Every song that is on any album from the first to currently, an artist wrote that. They were in the studio. Their band was together. Every note, whatever that made that album, that made that cut. Every little noise you hear, they worked hard for that finished product and that I think in this day and age we lose so much of that and it, it's kind of a sad thing I really I feel you know you talked about the differences of music before and you talk about music today I think you brought a really important aspect of music that we have lost and the b-side the deep cuts deep cuts and b-sides we don't get anymore from new artists because you know they don't need to make a lot of that music, as you said, because they only need to make a few songs that are going to be downloads, and that's what they'll give them. Oof. Yeah, no, it's it's the truth, and I think out of all the genres, all, all genres of music have been affected by the lack of physical connection in music. However, I think rock music, because of its reliance on the album cover and the whole package, the image and everything, has been affected most, and I don't think rock in general has figured out a way to adapt yet. Um, I think when you look at rap and hip hop and pop music, they're all adapting. They're all moving forward with, you know, releasing a single here and because they don't rely on that album cover, right? No one ever talks about a great album cover in like the pop world. You know what I mean? Like no one ever talks about like it's number of the beast by Iron Maiden or it's shout at the devil by Motley Crue or whatever album back then, you know, Led Zeppelin physical graffiti or Led Zeppelin four, you know, like just the mystery of what the album is doing or how it's speaking to whoever bought the album. No one ever talks about the great album cover that Michael Jackson had or the great album cover that Madonna had. They just don't. So that whole connection with that was never there in pop music, but it was there in rock music. And one of the reasons why is we segue into, you know, the next part of the conversation, which is present day and the relevancy of rock and roll and how it's being affected with the pandemic is the fact that it's irrelevant right now. You know, it's a fact, the fact that rock music has trouble gaining an audience, whether it's a performance at the Super Bowl, whether it's the rock awards at the Grammys not even being televised, whether it's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame telling you what's rock and roll, like Biggie Smalls and Whitney Houston. It's almost like it's it's being forgotten. And I attribute a lot of that to infrastructure and lack thereof. But I do believe prior to this, rock music was gaining a lot of traction. There's a lot of great new bands that are out there. 
that have kind of lost the momentum because of this. And even those bands that were really big in the 80s were starting to see a resurgence in their popularity. And I hope that momentum is not lost forever or for a long time. Am I right and correct in saying those things? I mean, you, you're on the front line. You're promoting the music. You're in the clubs, in the theaters, promoting the concerts. Did you see kind of a gradual swell in popularity with rock music? I will definitely, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I, I, it's hard for me to disagree and just say, jump in there and say, well, hold, hold on. I, I, don't, I don't agree with you there. And I would. I have no reason not to. If anything, I'll make more conversation. But um, I'm a promoter. I, I'm a concert promoter. Now, for the record, as a concert promoter, anybody out there just has one inkling of not so sure about everything, is I promote shows most of the time that venues hire me to promote. And what that simply in terms means is that, um, or, or here's, a, here's a perfect way to put it. As a promoter, I get paid to let people know about a show that they may not have already known about. And that's the simplest terms that I could ever use. That means that there's venues out there and what they do, of course, is they book an act, whether it's a, you know, a single artist or a band, uh, a slew of them all come through and they have their booking agents. And I stress that because I am nonstop inundated by every band in the world that always is getting hold of me. Hey, Julian, can you get my band into this venue? I can put in a good word with the booking agent, but I don't do the booking. That's not up to me. But uh, so I had to do a little plug there because maybe that'll help a few bands out there not submit their music to me. Um, but as a promoter, when they, the venue puts these bands on their you know calendar, the next thing is I'm then talked to, whether it's an email or a, a phone call or a text. Hey, Julian, we just booked so-and-so. Are you available that date? And whether it's two, three months down the line or a last minute booking, they had to fill in a, an empty slot on their schedule. Uh, you know, we do what we do. And I, of course, say, yeah, well, let, let's do this. Send me over the artwork and give me the information. When are tickets going on sale? The ticket links, all the, the little business end of it. But where I said what I, I described about what a promoter does, there's also, I hate to say it, but you know what? I've, uh, if rock and roll was doing so great out there for the longest amount of time, I wouldn't have a damn job. And I always hate having to say that the only reason that I've had a job as a promoter for going, you know, into three decades now, for goodness sakes is because no matter how great the band is, those venues are always needing a few extra tickets sold whether it's a whole lot of tickets sold or whether it's just that extra amount that is going to sell it out or get, or they want those extra few people buying the merch and buying the concessions, whatever it is, that's why I have a job. And if every band sold out every tour and every seat in the house, I would, there would be no job for me. That's the simplified thing. So rock and roll has been hurting for a long time. Me with the 80s, all genres of it. It's kind of the pro and the con is, again, now there has been the surge or resurgency, we should say. I definitely agree that things were on the uptick. 
And by that, I can say that, um, let me use State Rock as an example. Uh, State Rock in Hermosa Beach is a about a half mile from the beach. It's a, a beautiful, uh, intimate club. I like to call it intimate for the fact that it's only about a 275, close to 300 seater, uh, and, and not all seater. You know, there's some VIP seating and booths around, but it's mostly a stand up general admission show. What makes St. Rock so special is they, the, the booking agent, uh, does a fabulous job. And what the hell, I'll give him a plug, Adam, Adam Spriggs. I've worked with him, luckily, for many years. He books for the Kaboo Festival and the Beach uh, Life Festival out here. So he has the opportunity to get a lot of really great national touring acts that he'll get somehow or another to play St. Rock. Well, that artist may not normally play in a, a venue that small, but they're, they manage to work out a way, you know, again, I'm out of the business side of things, but manage a way for the ticket cost and, you know, to ha- how many dates, maybe a double date on a super big artist. Somehow they work it out to pr- give you these great national acts, but to see them in a small, intimate setting, which, of course, always for fans like you and me and everybody else out there is really special. So that being said, you have these venues and these artists coming in, and what I started noticing, especially 80s artists, there were big names on the bill that I hadn't seen for a while. And that's because a lot of these artists were dusting off the old outfits, and the resurgence was there. Artists that we just hadn't, you know, we hear their songs every day on the radio. We'll hear them on a jingle, you know, from some commercial. But whatever those reasons are, enough people out there their agent or management company said, Hey, we think we can get you a gig or two. And mind you, it's not always easy. A lot of these artists have some very difficult times selling out of even 300 person seaters, but they're out there. And because of that, I totally believe we were going to have a really fantastic 2020 summer and fall. I sat there, you know, the old kiss of death, like everybody else. Life could not be getting any better for me, Julian Douglas. I was starting to see my calendar light up. I do a ton of work. This is the exception to the rule where I do work with a specific band or two, Yachtly Crew. If you've heard the name, I'm sure you have. They've become the nation's hottest yacht rock band. Uh, They're based out of here in L.A. They went from playing in small clubs to now they were about to start and they had just gone on one or two dates, a national tour, an actual national tour doing yacht rock covers. They're hysterical. They dress to the T and they have an unbelievable following. But I started working for them as this so-called MC host and, and even play music. And I had a character created DJ yacht rock. That's right. DJ yacht rock. And I'm here tonight to host this event, you know, to, take care of all you fans of that smooth rock of the seventies and eighties. Yeah, it was pretty corny, but it was hysterical. And bands like that now had the whole summer ahead of them, the whole fall ahead of them. We were all sitting there and not to veer off the subject, but I am also a big travel speaker at the travel and adventure shows, uh, which are 10 conventions across America. And it came all starting from when I started blogging about my life in rock and roll and where my travels led me. I started speaking at those shows and got booked for a bunch of these conventions. 
And I literally did the jinx. I did the, the curse. I sat there going, can my life get any better? All these bands I loved that I'm friends with now are all starting to get booked. I've got these, this calendar of shows for March going into September. And I've got, I had two conventions. I was going to be flying out to Dallas and Philadelphia to speak in front of thousands of people on my travel tips. And then I was just told that I would probably be getting up to 10 conventions the following year to get to speak at. And then we all know what happened. And I'm just one of those people that affected. So rock and roll, it was, it was upticking. The nostalgia was there. And I think a lot of it is come for me. I see as a promoter is I'm seeing a lot of shows out there where the let's, I, I, I've done some work. Let's use a great funny one, for example, New Kids on the Block. And a show, or even uh, uh, New Kids on the Block did a tour recently. And one of my good, very close friends, Tiffany, was on that tour. And I, let, let's use Tiffany as a pure example. Tiffany will be playing venues out here, places like the Whiskey, of course, and, and other similar venues. And what's happened is we all adore and love Tiffany, and everybody can you know, once you mention the name now, that song, I, <laughs> you're alone now. It's going to be stuck in your head all day long. Um, and that, that's it. I, I think we're on I did that on purpose. Now, everybody out there on your podcast, you're going to be singing it all day long. What happens now is all these fans that are like our age-ish that grew up with that song and grew up with Tiffany and the music videos or remember everything about it, go to see her show. But people our age, most of them have kids, and they're bringing their kids to the Tiffany show. Tiffany has this shirt she sells, and it just says, children behave on the t-shirt, a line from that song. And it's, it's a hit. And you see all these kids, her show, wearing these t-shirts, children behave. And I think it is the most adorable, cutest thing ever. But that's it. Nostalgia. The parents are still listening to all this music. I talked about Yachtly Crew, and they do their all-ages shows, especially a lot of, they do a lot of, like, say, Santa Barbara uh, and, and these outside venues, you know, uh, these bowls and parks and amphitheaters. And you look out, and all these kids are dressed in little yachty outfits, little got little sailor hats on and little sailor outfits. And the, the little Wayfarer sunglasses, and you sit there laughing and go, how cute. But you think about it because the parents, all of us, we're still listening to that same music. We're not letting it go because that was the time. Those, those songs have an effect on our life daily. So now the, the kids hear these songs all day long being played by their parents, and they, they love this song or that song. And the parents, they want to have their kids experience experience a concert sure you may not be able to maybe want to bring your you know kid to some death rock concert but you can bring them to certain things can you bring your kid to a tiffany concert oh yeah and dance along and do all that can you bring your kid to some like i mentioned yachtly crew and, and bring them to some all those 70s and 80s you know soft rock hall and oats and steely dan that we all love yeah of course you can bring your kid and listen and let them sing along to it Rock and roll was 
was going up on the, the chart, so to speak. It was coming back. It was making a rise. I had a ton of concerts on my calendar that I had coming, and that meant all these bands were doing it. And then, boom, everything has changed right now. Yeah. And what's going to happen with that? Who knows? Before I begin my next thought, the, the new Tiffany yeah. stuff, which is more of a rock and roll flair, I really like. I think her, I think her new stuff is tremendous. But um, getting to your point. And I think that, no, I was just going to say, I think Tiffany is a great example. I love that how her and many artists are, and I wish others would do too, is she knows her song and a couple of other songs uh, will, are what bring the people to the shows. But she is not stopping. She is always creating new music. She'll give her stuff, like right now, like you said, her new stuff is definitely rock and roll. And she, her voice is as great now as it ever was. So she's able to reinvent herself. Kind of, if you want to call it, you know, keep with the times, you know, the times are different. You know, you hate to say it, but you don't see Tiffany having a number one hit on the radio out there. And not because it's not because of talent. That's not for sure. It's just music has changed. Right. So, right. but can Tiffany produce a good or, you know, a great quality album? And can it be something that people listen to all the time? Yes, that's what she's doing. But more importantly, what that enables her to do is to stay current on a touring circuit to be out there all the time and sure she plays a lot of those new songs and they're great. And people all of a sudden listen and go, Oh, huh, I never would have known. This is a cool song. I'm into this. And then when she plays the big hit and the other couple hits, they freak out and, and, but she's able to sell her new music and she's keeping current. And yes, there are so many artists like that. And that's what those artists need to do. Some of them, I feel bad because of the promoter, they haven't tried to record anything new in decades. And of course that's difficult. Of course it's difficult because it, it's the catch 22. As I started saying about the artist playing in concert as a fan of music, we all do the same thing. What, what do you cringe at more than anything? When that singer is up there and he goes, all right, uh, here, I'm going to play my new song. And we all cringe because well, no matter how great it is, right? We in general, we we came to the show because all we want to do is hear the old hits. Well, that, but, yeah, that, that but, right. That's more indicative of the audience, though, because as I found over the last decade, the there's almost like an absolute refusal from rock fans to listen to anything new, not just new bands, but new material from anyone. You know, whether it's, you know, a, a new Robert Plant album, whether it's a new whoever it is. And very few fan bases look for or want to dive into a new record by a band they love. And, and I don't know why. I, I don't know why people all of a sudden, because rock fans in general love new music. We grew up on buying every album we could buy. And then all of a sudden, you know, we want to, just listen to that classic rock station on the radio that plays the same 50 songs over and over again. Yeah, you've really hit something right there, haven't you? How, how, do, we change, how do we change the mentality of the fan? Yeah. How do we get them to, like you said, turn off the, if you're listening to SiriusXM, and turn off 70s on 7 and turn off the 80s on 8, 
turn off first wave and boneyard? You know, how do you get people to turn those off and turn on, you know, a local station of new music? It's difficult. And it's just as difficult as you said, as the fan of the music to, you know, you're not running to the store or wanting to jump online the minute I hate saying it like they, Bon Jovi puts out a brand new album because, you know, I, you know, here, here's an example. We, my wife and I, we, <laughs> I wear a lot of hats and, uh, one, one of them, which is kind of a funny one is I'm a judge for the bloody Mary festival. <laughs> I, I actually go around the nation and I am a judge at the bloody Mary festival. Uh, that's, it's, it sounds hysterical, but it's something I love, something I enjoy. Uh, and once again, gives me the opportunity to travel. And one of my trips, not too long ago, I was judging, I think the, the year before last, uh, the new Orleans bloody Mary fest and you know, what a town to fly out to and spend a few extra days and, you know, do everything because to me, new or other than, other than Los Angeles and the sunset strip to me. Uh, there's no other town in all of America that oozes music like New Orleans does. And um, so I get a really great chance to listen to music. I would never get to see live uh, out here that I can only there because of the styles of music from true jazz and true blues to Zydeco and all this other type of rock. You just don't get that anywhere else. And so I was out there judging the Bloody Mary Fest. And I, of course, on all my social media, I'm Mr. King of social media, having to do everything I do. And, uh, I got a call. I, 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 I started exchanging messages from one of my friends that happens to be in Bon Jovi. And they made the comment going, are, are, are you here in New Orleans? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, we're in New Orleans. What are you doing tomorrow night? You, you want to come to the show? And <laughs> Of course, the wife was all like, yeah, 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 we do, we do, we do. And and I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? And sure enough, you know, next day, text the guys. They were like, yeah, everything, we'll, we'll send our manager out to meet you. Uh, we got you all set up and taken care of, got all the passes and the whatnots. And, and in we went. I got to take pictures up on stage and with all the guys and, you know, good seeing everybody. It was really cool to do something like that outside of L.A. But the really funny part was, and this was the point of this little story is Bon Jovi comes up, takes stage, starts with some kick-ass tune. And I kid you not, probably the next 10 songs I had never heard. And we're not talking like one or two. We're talking like 10 songs in a row. I had never heard. And we were a good solid hour something in my, my wife loves Bon Jovi and bless her heart. But, um, you know, I would look at her and she'd look at me like, I don't even know that one. Like she, she, she buys, she gets the recent Bon Jovi albums when they come out. She, she runs a lot. So, you know, she puts on, puts on those little head, headsets and goes running, gives her a chance to listen to more than maybe I would at times. And, and she was looking at me going, I, I don't know this one. You know, some of them she was going, Oh yeah, you're not going to know this one. It's, you know, a, a, you know, his last hour or something like that, a deep cut, you know, and I couldn't believe, and you kind of saw the crowd. They were getting antsy. It was kind of, it was sad. The music was great. It wasn't like Bon Jovi went up there and was singing out of tune and playing crappy songs. Oh, hell no. He was playing some really cool. And, and every song, it was like, you know, wow, cool song. I'm going to have to check that out. But it, it was funny how the, the crowd got antsy and, the, and, and you just didn't know the music. I don't know how we changed that. 
And maybe it's just the artist doing what Bon Jovi did. Maybe, you know, he, he, he did it. He got to play all those songs and everybody, but he loved it. And him talking about what album it's on that maybe a lot of those fans went right on out and downloaded those songs. And maybe that's what it took was for him to do that. But in general, um, new artists are a little different because that's just it. They're new artists. They, it's, it is hard for them to break through and it, you've got to have a hell of a song to, to get it out on radio play on, on the so-called top radio stations out here, because still even the top radio stations that if they're a rock station, they're more or less just, as you said, continuing to play all those same 50 classic rock songs. And unfortunately it's because if we're sitting in traffic and we're stuck bumper to bumper and we've had a lousy day and we just can't wait to get home, a lot of people flip on the radio and they want to sing along with a song. They want that. And you talked about this before about that, that certain hook, that thing that takes you back. Well, that's what the music of our genre is, whether it is rock and roll, whether it's new wave, you know, whatever it is, if you're into the pop and dance of that time, those songs all take us back. And they usually take us back to a really wonderful, happy place in our life. We all know that you can sit there and rattle off a ton of songs or a ton of artists and start remembering certain times of your life and what you were doing, what was going on at that. I mean, for me personally, um, I was a big new wave brat in the early eighties. You know, I, I was a total rocker, but then I got hooked into all the new wave and MTV. Let's face it. It did it. You know, MTV, like you said, it kept us out of trouble. We were there that first day, that first video when MTV aired, we raced home, got on our bikes and I was in high school then. And we all sat around the TV waiting for that first thing and seeing that rock, that, you know, spaceship start going up and the, the MTV jingle for the, for hearing it for the first time was mind blowing. And that's it. We were addicted. Of course there were more MTV was loaded up with the new wave fans. They were, they were, that was it. New wave was just that it was a new wave. It was a new wave of music. It was a new wave of look. And for that, MTV loved playing their videos. And I got sucked into it. But I live here in Southern California. And, you know, we're stuck. Just like everybody else, we're all at home trying to stay safe and, and be well. And certain songs, my wife and I will go take a little safe walk around the neighborhood here. Yeah, we still can't walk down on the beach, but we can walk around the neighborhood and see the ocean in the distance. And whatever, like, song that comes on whatever that 80s song it may be just whatever i'm just throwing out there maybe you know a song by abc that pops up and i happen to do a lot of work with them and i'll sit there and go god wow when poison arrow came out i remember us all at this my friend's backyard in high school and this the mtv said now we've got a new one by the band abc and i can remember i can remember that and, and whatever else it is and all those other bands, it takes us back. Well, a lot of bands, though, that we, we, we've talked about that are experiencing a resurgence or the new rock bands that are coming out, whether it's a Dirty Honey, whether it's the Struts, whether it's Goodbye June, all these bands are experiencing some, some success because they're new and, and a younger audience is gravitating towards them. But they rely on a lot of the small clubs and they rely on a lot of the mid-level theaters to play. Because of this pandemic, where do you see 
the future of these clubs, these middle-level theaters? And where do you see the newer artists, the new bands, the bands that are there for the nostalgia or they're having a resurgence? Where do you see them going and playing once this is over? What's the impact of this pandemic going to have in terms of a short-term effect and a long-term effect? I think in the short-term effect, there's the unknown is what is scary. You know, I started off your show talking about um, exactly not knowing here, especially in in Los Angeles and California and Los Angeles even more. uh, And I say that because, you know, the mayor here has put down a lot of stringent uh, laws. And if the guidelines that they're giving now hold true, no music until 2021, that that's scary for, for the local artists. So more, more the local artists than the lower tier rock bands that are out there, whether it's rock or new wave, I kind of put them all together in the rock world. Um, the new artists had the ability to go out on a regular basis and play the, the dive bar, the small club as they grew to the season to improve their fan base, to connect with an audience because that's just it. You know, look, these days I get it. Some of the, some of these bands are trying to, to do their best and bless their heart. And they're doing little podcasts of them playing, or they're doing a Facebook live or Instagram live and doing these tiny live little acoustic things from their living room and stuff. And that, and that's, and that's great. Because everything that they do, they should be doing. Because if you're not doing anything, you're going to really fall behind. But no matter how much they're doing, having a few people type on the screen when you're doing a Facebook Live saying, hey, Joe in Kansas, I'm listening, you rock, is a lot different from the real feedback you get when you're in a crowd on stage when you play a note and when you sing a a certain line of a song and you connect visually, when you have that eye contact and the clapping and the noise and the screaming, you feel the physical energy, the air coming at you. I say it like I do as being a promoter, I get to host most of my shows. So when I take the stage and I'm the first person that that, that people see and that curtains open, the excitement is there because it's about to start. And then I get to work up the crowd, whatever it is that I say to just get them fired up and introduce that artist. Bam. It's there. It's that one on one, but one on a thousand out there, that connection that you're having and musicians are losing that right now because no matter what, again, no matter what creativity they're trying to do, they don't have a live audience to give them true feedback. You know, if you're doing a Facebook Live and it shows you got 138 viewers and then a little later, 142 or 127, why? Did they have to go to the bathroom and come back? Did they have to go run up to the store? Did they just not enjoy it? And all of a sudden that act that they saw on stage with all that energy just isn't as entertaining when they're sitting in front of it with an acoustic guitar and, and sitting on a stool in front of their you know iPad. You know, um, the future is a little scary. And, and I started talking before the, the venue and the lack of venues is what could be very scary in the near future and kind of the, the long future here. Luckily, I saw something on Facebook yesterday. I talked about that, uh, the club St. Rock, 
they posted something I can't tell you. I wish I could remember right now. Um, there was a brand new organization and I'll have to text you after the show or something, because maybe this is something you get to talk to some of your guests about. And I, and again, I, I wish I had that handy. Maybe as I'm talking to you, I'll try to pull it up on my phone, but there is an organization that has just been, uh, created, uh, that small mom and pop venues are a part of, and they are using this organization as a real political, uh, tool to engage with local politicians to help save their clubs, special loans, those small business loans that were all out there in the first 24 hours and then all dried up and disappeared. They are coming together. And if I recall, I saw something that there was already something like possibly 1600 venues already that jumped on board with this organization. And that my eyes lit up when I saw that they mentioned the Troubadour, was one of them. And there was a lot of uh, news articles going around about the Troubadour uh, was in the news because they admitted that if this goes on for more than three months, they're done. That's it. There will no longer be a Troubadour, a place that has history from the 60s and 70s of some of the greatest bands ever that played that place, let alone the 80s, and currently. Because the new artists that are out there, these are the clubs that they get the opportunity to play. But... Uh, you know, it's one thing for a club to shut its doors for a few months. Shutting their doors for six to eight to nine to possibly a year, let, let's you do the math. Unless you are a house of blues, unless you have a parent company like Live Nation, that's just a major beast. Can you absorb that kind of financial hit? You know, a lot of these clubs out there that we're mentioning, you know, a lot of them, they, they handle they handle say like their property taxes and a lot of that type of stuff is paid for at the beginning of the year. They pay all that out at the beginning of the year. And then as the year goes on, they recoup all those costs. So usually venues are known around January to kind of almost go broke to, to, to shoot their load. They are putting all their money that they've made and they're, they're taking care of all their financial commitments for the year uh, to an extent. Uh, then, you know, February, March is rolling and all that income is coming to, back to the club and they start getting out, out of it, you know, from the red into the, into the black. And, but now guess what? Like I just said, there's no music. There's no bodies in these venues. So a lot of these bands, when the, when the, you know, everything was going on in January, it was like kind of normal. They did that. They did all their obligations and, and plan for the future. And then all of a sudden the door shut. And they didn't have any time to, to get their money back to, for everything that they put out. So, unfortunately, I find it hard to believe if there's going to be venues out there that don't close the doors. And some of them may be very historic venues. We're going to lose memory, but we're going to lose places for small bands to play locally that are just starting to get, starting to get their followers, starting to get that start. You know, you, you can be social media savvy uh, and be the kings of social media. But if you don't have a place for your fans to come and see you in person to, to talk to after the show, to hug, you know, ooh, social distancing. If you can't move merchandise arm, either, you know, I mean, you can't yeah. move the T-shirts, you can't move what, the stickers, what, you know. Right. What is merch? You just said that. What is merch? You know that. Merch is 100% the band. 
That is their money. That's their bread and butter. You know, they get their gig and, you know, whatever money they made usually is divided between each band member. And sometimes by the time everything's done and gas and food and what they're doing, they're, they're not making that much money at all. Sometimes they're losing money. But merch is so important. You know, we always say that. I'm a promoter. Uh, it's one of the things I'm on the microphone all the time telling people, reminding that the band that you're seeing, whoever that band is, I mentioned, hey, you know, before they take the stage, I mentioned they've got their merch out there. And after, and especially if their last song is played and they're all cheering and screaming and hollering, and they announce that they're going to do a short little meet and greet over by their merch, please pick something up and support the band. If you had fun at this show tonight, then more importantly, keep this, that support going. And that's just it. Think of all that money out there, their little, from their CDs to their freaking cup holders to their T-shirts. All that stuff is not being sold. What do and you think about all the bands like you just said that, that spent their, their own money getting all that stuff printed and made that's sitting in boxes right now in their garage. What do you think the likelihood is of, you know, percentage-wise, if you want to do it that way? These new bands that are coming out, and not just local to L.A. or local to Nashville or wherever, there's bands that have just released EPs and working on new albums that are nationwide. There's bands in the U.K. There's bands all over that are putting out some really great music, some new bands. What percentage do you think are not going to be able to survive this? Meaning, you know, they're paying their bills on their credit cards, they're, you know, got to pick up another line of work because they got to pay their rent and they got to pay their bills or pay their utilities. And then when things do start to open up, we, you know, small clubs are going to close. So there's going to be less and less places for new bands to play or bands that are experiencing a resurgence. What, you know, where do you think that's going to go? I mean, how do you, what do you think is going to happen to some of these bands that are just going to say, we can't afford to do this anymore. We're so far in debt, all of us, you know, because we didn't have jobs because we were musicians and we were relying on doing a tour and selling our merchandise and selling our albums and stuff. And yeah, we're selling a little bit online, but nothing like we were before. We don't have the money to go from Boston to Chicago and Chicago to LA and LA to Vegas and Vegas to Texas, down to Florida and back up to Boston. We don't have you know, the, the back end to do it. I'm afraid it's going to be a percentage that people might find crazy. But I, for me personally, I'm going to say I would, as far as new artists go, new artists, I would not doubt 20, 25% of those artists out there are done. Uh, you know, if not more, you just got done talking about giving a whole bunch of reasons and those are viable reasons. You know, it, it's very, it's one thing to be the garage band that you're living in your mom's basement and you guys have the chance to sit there and rehearse all the time. And maybe this is just a six or nine month break until you get back doing it again. But the ones out there that were really doing this and the ones that were, were footing their own bill for their little tours, the guys that were in, you know, that, the, that they put their money together and they got themselves a band and they're like you, you just said, going from town to town, playing little bars and clubs and, um, you know, trying to get people to buy a T-shirt and getting their music out there and then posting all over social media. And that, that's a very hard 
daily grind that takes place. It's it's been it's been done since the sixties, and it's never going to stop. It's the only way it can be done. That said, I, I think there's too much of a high percentage of people that will not have the ability to do that anymore. Uh, how many people? How many people have actually gotten the PUA, the, the Pandemic Unemployment uh, Act, uh, Assistance, uh, the, the unemployment for gig workers? Not everybody has gotten that, and there's only limited funds available. Unemployment itself is a certain cap on that. So there's people out there that might be going, okay, hey, this ain't so bad. Uh, you know, maybe we do some Zoom rehearsals and we're just not having our crowd and I got some money coming in on unemployment. Uh, I'm there. You know, unemployment is not something you get paid for two years. Unemployment is a specific amount and then it dries up. This pandemic in, in, uh, assistance that we've gotten right now, they're only saying till July and then that's gone. Well, that, that may work for a lot of those people out there that work as far as bartenders and restaurant peers and, and what have you. But for the musician, the gig worker, that, that doesn't do it for us. We're, we're, we're screwed. From at the end of July, what are we going to do? So a lot of those people in, in local bands and a lot of established bands, you know, and I, I, I don't, I won't even name any names because I'm going to randomly say a name and they may hear this and go, wait a minute. I'm not, you know, a painter during the day. I'm not a babysitter. I'm not a line cook, you know, so I don't want to mention names, but so many rock and new wave bands that do the circuit. Uh, of course, a lot of them have other jobs and they've got small jobs that allow them when they get these small gigs to do their music still and have people come out. But now what jobs have been available? Many jobs have been lost. Sure. There are a few East and that great word. We all love to hear essential workers, but there's a, by far, you know, how many millions of Americans had to file for unemployment 20 plus or something. I don't know the, the, the exact amount, but those people are slowly as businesses and America reopens are going to be able to go back to work. But how much time went by? So each band has what average four guys in the band. And, and I say guys, you know, four people, whether it's women or men, it doesn't matter. Uh, the point being that there's an average of four, three, four, five, maybe six in the band. But if just one of those, one of those people in that band, you know, has said, Hey guys, I, you know, I was out of work for three months before I got my first whatever check. Uh, and, and now I've got a, a lead on a job. There's a warehouse next, you know, right by me and uh, crazy. It may seem they're, they're, they're got orders flying out the doors and I can pick up a, a gig making like, you know, 25, 30 bucks an hour to freaking just load trucks up with boxes. Uh, I got I got rent. I'm two months behind on rent. My credit cards are all of us these days. What are we doing? We're putting stuff on our credit cards. Well, guess what? Now those bills are going to start coming in and they need to be paid. Families need food on the table. So you know what? There's going to be a lot of bands out there, new bands, more importantly, and a lot of older bands that just say, you know what? We're, we're probably... Why don't we, why don't we wait a while? Why don't we see what happens out there? You know, I, I, I you know, I hate saying it too, but how many bands have got, I don't want to say, I'll say healthy ego, but they say they're desperate that they want to be back out there playing for people again. 
that they want to so bad, but how many are sitting there going, well, you know, I don't go to the, I don't go to Costco right now because there's too many people and it scares the shit out of me. How many want to actually all of a sudden jump right out there and be in front of, you know, a few hundred people out in the crowd and then do a meet and greet after. And the meet and greet merch is where all the, all of them make their money. How many people, how many are going to be out on stage and just somebody, somebody had a, a vapor thing and blew one in the crowd and the person next to them started coughing because they blew smoke in their state in, in their, in their, you know, in their space. And then the person on stage didn't see that, but they see the fan right in front of them start coughing. They're probably going to have a freaking attack on stage panicking and, or start playing on the other side of the stage. They're going to have things in their head. Oh crap. You know, uh, if I come back too soon, are we doing this? Is this safe to be doing? There's going to be so many new ideas. And I think many are going to maybe just wait as many are out there posting on social media. We can't wait to get out there and play for you. Day number one, we are playing, but will they, will they be able to, will they have bills they have to pay first? Will they kind of say, let's just wait a while. Why don't we wait a couple months and see how these venues are going to you know, operate. We don't want to be the first band to go in there and play when they're, they're sitting there doing thermal tests of people walking in the door and, or some crazy certificate you have to show that you're, you're Corona free or something like that. And, you know, we won't be able to, we're, we're going to have to play on stage, but even though it's a small stage, we're going to have to stand six feet apart from each other when we play. And I know, think those, sure those... microphones, I think those thermal tests are, I, I think those are going to be real, a reality. I think, you know, when you walk into a venue, you're going to have your temperature taken. You're going to have to, if you have the antibodies in your system, meaning you've already had it, you're going to have to produce proof of that. There's going to be maybe like an ID card. I think that stuff, the longer this goes and the inability to not have a cure, an, a vaccine or a treatment, I think that it is almost essential if we want to, have those things you know, imagine you know going on public transportation in new york or chicago on the l or the subway you know touching the the bar in the middle of the subway car that 100 people have touched pri- previous to you who knows how clean they are who knows if you know the hand washer is going to be you know um you know the, the the sanitizer stuff all over i think all that stuff's going to happen i think that's just without question because, like you said, there has to be a confidence in the person going to the show. I know myself, I don't want to go sit in a 3,500 general admission theater like the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago. People right on top of each other coughing and sneezing and guy three people down having a fever and then that guy gets it, then I get it, and then the person next to me gets it. I, I almost think that that's, it's going to have to be that way. It, it, there's no option. If, if, if these clubs are going to open up. And that's the other question too. Are the clubs going to have to pay for this type of testing or is this going to be just part of regulation? There's going to be a department within the local government that goes out to these sporting events or concerts and sits outside the hall or sits outside the stadium and just test people before they go in. It's like a security checkpoint. Now you got to get your fever checked. You got to get all your, your uh, vitals checked or whatever before you go into a show. I can't agree more. Um, why you were saying that, I happened to look up real quick. Just for the record, uh, the National Independent Venue Association, 
the NIVA, the National Independent Venue Association. That is the brand new organization that I had talked about with smaller clubs, independent clubs that have gotten together to have a, a voice, a powerful voice. And that being said, I agree that again, I'm not working for any of these venues. I would assume if we're just having a casual conversation here for listeners to listen to, then they're the experts. It's their clubs. You would hope that they are talking about what we're talking about. And I can't see how they couldn't be, but I would hope if they have now an organization that has organizational heads, top representatives that are probably trying to get things moving faster so that clubs can open up. But the give and take, as you said, like restaurants right now, they are doing everything in their power to show their patrons that they are a safe environment for you to eat, whether it's dining out, you know, with takeout or delivery, showing pictures of, you know, how beautiful and clean their restaurant is and how it will be that way for when the doors open to their kitchens and what their staff are wearing, how they prepare the food and how that food is getting delivered to you. That is everything right now. And the restaurants out there that are going out of their way to show pictures on social media of these great things and great ways they're doing this are the ones that are very much so succeeding and that will help them to when the doors open. So that being said, that should be the model that a, an organization like this should be discussing with all of these independent clubs out there. They should be also saying, you brought up a fabulous point. Who's going to pay for all this? All these clubs right now are broke. So what opening their doors is not going to be easy. You know, placing orders for if they have food or, you know, now that they're everything they had had to be thrown out for certain beverages that they're going to need and alcohol to stock their club, to open their doors once again and get that club clean, but keep the place completely safe for their patrons. All those clubs out there, that's a lot of cost for all the cleaning products that need to be done. I've seen something where some places, um, you know, restaurants and whatnot, uh, you know, they've got little disposable face masks at the door. They've got a box of gloves at the door. They have their big tub of sanitizer at the door. Maybe that's, like you said, what, what needs to take place. And they're going to have to have the, the, the little thermal temperature takers. Uh, you know, when will there be an antibody card that it is, that might even help the process more? But this is an extra expense that these places don't have right now. So how, how do they do that? Maybe that's something that this organization can do to help the venues, which in turn is only going to do one thing, and that's going to help us, the fans of music, come and feel safe and secure. You talked about you yourself, just a fan of music, not wanting to go to places. Look at, look at it. My side, I unfortunately am in what they call that high risk group. I had some situations this past year. My, my lungs are performing at 50%. And uh, my doctor has me on strict orders to be careful out there. So to speak, I'm reminded every day about that and how I have to be careful. So, you don't think I'm missing the rush and having a thousand people in front of me when I take that mic. And when I get off stage, taking pictures with everybody, hugging them, high-fiving them right in front of their face. 
I lived for that. I lived for it from when I started in the 80s to every day since the last show I did. But is it safe for me to go back to work tomorrow? No. I know that right now. If the doors open and, and they were like one of these places, like whether it's a hair salon in Texas that, or some of these other places, although, again, they're doing it safe, but even a place defined, and we're seeing that everywhere around America, people, certain businesses are saying, screw you. We're going to open our doors and they may do it as safe as can be. But if my venue, one of my venues that I do a lot of work at said, Hey Julian, we're, we don't care anymore. We're rock and roll. We're fighting society. We're going to be rebels. We've, we've got tons of bands that want to play. We're going to open our doors. We'll, we'll do it for like 50% of the, 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 the size of the space, but we're going to do it. So we've got some shows we want you on. Am I next weekend going to go walk into a club with, 120 people, even instead of 300 or something like that. And, you know, do what my job is not right now. I can't do that. Sure. Businesses are reopening right now. Certain things are changing, but the virus hasn't changed. The threat is exactly today as it was three months ago. The threat has not changed. So the venue and the fan of the music, we need security to know that we can go back and watch music and the artists that are performing the music, they have to have the sense of security. They have to be able to get in their vans or their tour buses or their private jets, no matter what, you know, how big or small the bands are. And they have to be secure that they and everybody that works for them, all of the guys doing tech, you know, all the guys doing their sound, their lighting and selling stuff. There's sound people, you know, at the sound booth, all, you know, their guitar techs and drum techs and all, all that endless stuff. Those people also need to be safe. They're putting themselves in more danger being out in the crowd. So well, it's, it's a thought that we have to address and who's going to help make this happen. Everybody needs to come together, but somebody in a bigger sense needs to help get these doors open and not just the venue. Well, you mentioned an interesting point. The, the virus itself is not relenting. It's not going away until there's a treatment or until there's a vaccine. So it's here. So how do we deal with it? And then there's the pyramid of what I call reality, which is at the top is the band or the club owner. Then below that, you've got the band members and you've got the employees. And then below you know, the band, then you've got all their support staff, like you mentioned, the guitar techs, the roadies, the light guys. How many of those guys are not coming back? You know, those guys are right. at the low end of the totem pole because they don't get, they get paid peanuts and, you know, th they had to pick up another line of work. So are they going to go out and tour with a band and make, you know, a hundred bucks a night or whatever it is that they make? Or are they going to go make, like you said, you know, 20, 25 bucks an hour to work in a warehouse because it's needed or the, the employment or the, or this warehouse needs employees and they're paying top dollar. And then, same thing with the, with the club, right? Are you going to have people that work at the club, whether it's a bartender, whether it's a waitress, whether it's a security guy, whether it's the ticket guy, you know, putting the armband around your, around your, uh, your wrist or, or checking you, the marker on your, on the, on your hand, you know, are those guys going to feel comfortable doing what they do? I mean, how hard is it going to be to find those guys? But then let's dive deeper. Let's say that place serves food. Well, how many places that are there food vendors are going to go out of business because of this? Okay. 
how many how many alcohol distributors usually alcohol does great during a downturn but nevertheless it's a possibility same thing with food vendors and now that there's less food vendors the supply and demand is different so now what you were paying before now there's it's more money because now there's more of a risk for these guys to come out to your club and now you've got to pass that cost on to the employer so that $10 beer now becomes an $18 beer that $15 burger now becomes a $25 burger. So then now who's going to have the money after just collecting unemployment for several months and go to a show? And then on top of that, the club is at half capacity because they have to be, they have to have you know, due to regulation, either half capacity or 25%, 30%, whatever. So now they're making less money. So now they got to think of creative ways to make that money up. The band's got to, Think of creative ways to make the money up on merchandise. So it's a clusterfuck. I hate to use that term, but I don't know. No, I don't you know. Did. Yeah. And think, of, think of the circle. Think of the circle as you just were saying that and you get into it. And then you, one of the biggest factors involved there is the price of the band. Yeah. Because let's just, let's just take a low price. I'm just use a, just for a round figure, a thousand dollars. Some band gets paid a thousand bucks to play one night of the week. And that's what they split between themselves. And you just touched upon it. The venues, when they start opening their doors, there's not one venue out there, even a house of blues that is going to be, you know, in the black, they're going to be in the red and they are going to sit there when the, when they're ready to start building a calendar of bands again. The problem is everything that you said, everything is going to be cost efficient. It's the only way to operate. So when that band First, they pick up the phone and they say, "Oh, yeah, of course, yeah, we're we're ready. We're let's let's do this. We're available on this Saturday night." Um, okay, and then you think the booking agent is going to turn around and say, uh, "Yeah, we've got you for that thousand dollars." No, that's not happening. None of these bands are on March whatever the date was. The last shows were done. Whatever that band made, they, although they assume that's what they're getting when they go right back out on the road, it's not happening. And it can't happen. A, ve- a venue can't pay a band a thousand dollars they they paid at the end of February. That can't happen at that price. They're going to have to sit there and say, "Look, un- unfortunately, we're only going to be able to pay you guys five hundred bucks." And then it goes right back to what you were saying again: the people involved with the band. Think about the roadies. I hate saying it, but we all know it's the oldest joke in the book. You know, most of those pl- people are will work for a ham sandwich. So now the guy that was making like, you know, 50 bucks or 75 bucks a gig just because he was happy doing something with a band. Now you just said it. That guy's got a job. Maybe he's working over at Costco now. Maybe he's making 25 bucks an hour stock the shelves. And he's got insurance. So, yeah, and he's got insurance. His family is protected. He's making more than he ever made before. And he's got something solid because guess what? That job ain't going anywhere. He's got job security. He got in there. All these markets that started hiring all these people because they needed people, they're going to still need them for a long time. So why would he give up his insurance that he's got now to cover his kids, that he didn't have, that's not coming out of his own pocket, and he's got this steady, nice paycheck, and give that all up to make a couple, you know, just to make a little money just so that they can go out and do more grunt work again. A lot of them are going to say, maybe not, not now. Check back with me in six months. We'll see what happens. So that's why I think you really, really hit something 
a, a lot of the average people don't quite take the time to think about. And that's going to have a huge effect. And a lot of these bands, like I just said, if the band got a thousand dollars, we're just using a crazy number out there. But we know some of these are, are new bands trying to make it. They ain't getting a thousand dollars. But so, but they were finally getting to a point, remember, when that band finally were getting paid and not getting nothing. But now all of a sudden they're going to have to restart because the only way they play is either play for free or God forbid, God forbid, are we going to see a resurgence of pay to play? Is that going to make a, a comeback? God, I hope not. But the old eighties pay to play for these bands, are venues going to say that? Are they going to say, you know what? We want you to play, but we're going to need a guarantee on your end. If you don't bring in this amount of people, since we can only hold this amount of people, you know, we have to, we have to have something in the contract. So there's some scary times coming ahead also that people need to start discussing. Ooh, and, then, and then with the band scary. and then with the band that is making that thousand dollars, let's just say you got to knock off 50% of that because the club is at half capacity. Do they say to themselves, we're not going to take it till we get our number. And then they sit around waiting and waiting and waiting because no one's booking them because they, they cost too much right now or the other option. Let's just forget it. You know, let's just disband. I know we had that great EP that everybody loved and everybody said we were on the, you know, we were heading towards greatness, but I'm not going to go and play for 500 bucks a night and have to play five, six gigs a week just to, you know, make some money. And then who knows if we're going to sell any merch. Cause that's the other thing too. People may have money to go to the show, but they may not have the money to buy a shirt because of, exactly. you know, the disposable income is gone. You know, that extra money that people had to buy, you know, the, the, now if they're spending more money on beer, that's going to cut into their t-shirt money. So it's just, all right, I'm, I'm going to make a really bad joke here. And just remember that I said this first on your show. I've got the solution with a lot of bands out there. So all bands, if you're out there, and if it ever does amount to anything, it all comes back as evidence. The first time it was brought up was here on your show, and it was brought up by me. What bands should do right now when it's time to get out touring and they want like sponsorship and all that, I think every band out there should be writing to every freaking toilet paper company out there. Email freaking the Charmin and, and Cottonelle and, and all the others and, and start thinking that, hey, if you come to our show, you get a free roll of toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> what is the incentive to get the person out there to that show? Maybe, hey, you know what? Like we're saying, Maybe a comp- some band is smart enough to get the disposable cheap face mask or fabric and they start making, you know, face masks. And for everybody that comes to their show, you get a complimentary face mask. If you're scared being at home, don't be. Come to our show and we've got, we're, we're providing you with our face mask. But sponsor- I mentioned, you know, that's kind of a, a, fun, a funny joke, but, you know, Yachtly Crew, I mentioned. Yachtly Crew made face masks and they put them online last week and they sold out in something like 10 minutes online thousands of them their fans just and and now i see people tagging on social media because they'll repost them you know and you see i pop on and see yachtly cruise story and there's somebody at the at the freaking market and you know representing yachtly crew and there's a yachtly crew mask 
pretty freaking smart idea. We kind of backtracked a little about ideas, what can bands do? Well, maybe maybe there's a combination where you start thinking outside the box. Well, that's what I was just, just going to say. Nobody's, yeah. Yeah, I was just, just going to say, the sponsorship thing, although the toilet paper's funny, but maybe <laughs> we start seeing maybe we start seeing Budweiser or Miller being the exclusive for the club, and they pay the band fee provided that they only sell Miller products or provided they only sign, sell Budweiser products. Maybe that's what we start to see now. We start to see clubs align with a beer company or clubs align with whatever, you know, Subway sandwiches or McDonald's or Burger King, whoever wants to sponsor, they're helping the, the club offset some of those costs and, but then there's this incentive, you know, for them, you know, predominantly liquor companies, I would imagine would probably be the first one to jump all over this. So, you know, you can't, I think it's brilliant. Yeah. You can't, you can't sell any bud products in this. You can only sell Miller and here's what you can sell at this price. And if you sell, you got to sell this certain amount and then we'll pay the thousand dollars that the band wants, or we'll pay, you know, this, that, or the other. And I think that even happens right now with some bigger venues. I know some bands, when they're playing arenas or they're playing stadiums, they get a percentage of the beer sales. But that could right, work right. At, at a um, at a club level, at a mid-level theater level as well to help because you got to get creative now. So how do you get creative? You find someone to, to pay for it. Let's say, you know, instead of, member Jam Productions, you know, presents this, maybe it's, you know, uh, the local you know, Firestone down the street from the Troubadour or wherever. No, I love it. I love it. And you know what? I think if I could do a public service announcement, like I was joking about like toilet paper, I think that would be it. You know, I, I, for many years I had the opportunity and I, it's been a while since I've done it. I, I get to, I've gotten to speak at MIT, the musicians Institute in Hollywood. And I got to speak a lot about a a lot of different topics, but mostly about marketing. Uh, you know, they would, because they wanted me to talk to a lot of these bands as they were so-called graduating from MIT to get that last bit, bit of advice. And the most important sometimes is, you know, you've said is merch and how important that is. And I would always use some certain people out there. Of course, you know, Gene Simmons, you cannot ever discuss the, the power of merchandising without thinking about Kiss. You can love Kiss. You can hate Kiss. Uh, but you know what? There is no other band that's ever been and ever will be as successful of selling merchandise as it comes to Kiss. So that being said, my personal advice for every musician out there, you just touched upon it. I think it's important. I would recommend that a lot of these bands that know that they've got something start contacting different, you know, alcohol companies and start working out what you can. Like me, for example, I, I happen to be really good friends. A uh, friend of mine, GC, he owns Hollywood Vodka. And Hollywood Vodka is in the Viper Room and a lot of those really great hip venues, of course, up in Hollywood. Uh, it happens to be a real super high-end vodka. Uh, I love it, and I drink it myself, and I'm not doing this as a plug in any way, but they are a small, locally-owned company that they are not in stores. They're not in a grocery store. You can't just go to your local grocery store and stock up on Hollywood vodka. You're not going to be able to do it. They distributed solely to all these great venues and clubs. Well, that company right now, 
they're they're sitting there going, when the shit is this stuff going to reopen? Because we can't unload all these cases in our warehouse until music is back, until certain bars are back. So you just started talking about, you know, the beers, the old days of the 80s. The 80s were all about the Budweiser bikini contest and the Bud Girls. You know, you think about all these companies out there. Well, I mentioned Hollywood Vodka. How many different companies, hard alcohol, uh, beers, wine, and now all the different mixings from the, the hard ciders and the, the spritzers and, and sodas and even, uh, you know, alcohol water. There are an endless amount of companies out there. I personally right now would tell every band out there, maybe it's time you start contacting all of them and just find out a really great opening, you know, who you are, what you're doing. You can't wait for this to all come back. And when it does, we should talk about going in business together. We want to push your product at our shows. We want to work with that venue to exclusively do that. Remember, come on, one of my sponsors way back in the day, I used to have one of the biggest 80s nights up at Universal City Walk for five years, totally way back Wednesdays. And my sponsor was Jägermeister. Uh, everybody even joked, I could not go, I used to host a lot of shows and still do down at the NAMM convention. Talking about jumping ahead for a whole nother subject, how is this gonna hamper NAMM coming around? But at the NAMM convention, I would host shows everywhere. And there was not a time when I got off stage that somebody didn't have a shot of Jaeger waiting for me. Even when I stopped drinking Jaeger for a while, I, you know, they still always have a shot because they always remember Julian. Hey, there's Mr. 80s, Jaegermeister. I was synonymous because Jaeger was my sponsor. So this may be the time if you, these bands, you guys are out there. Hey, this is Julian here, your friend, you know, and, and my friendly advice to each one of you, why you've got time at home, that's the thing to do. And it doesn't also have to just be liquor companies, beer and wine and liquor. Think about any other company out there that has something that you can tag to your band. And why don't you get out there and start communicating? Maybe it's a clothing company. Again, here we go. You and I have seen it over the decades, how many different bands have had some type of sponsor and it's some type of clothing. Look at all the ones even like Monster Energy drinks, all the energy drinks out there. What about the sunglasses? You know, I think I just talked about Yachtly Crew. I think one of their one of their sponsors is a, I think Revo sunglasses, I think. I hope I'm right. But they have a thing with Revo. So all these bands out there, you know, think outside the box. Maybe you don't always have to worry about going to NAM and trying to get Fender or, or Yamaha or whoever it is as a, as a sponsor for you. Maybe you can right now start using the time you have on your hands and have every band member start reaching out to any company out there. So when you are back, you've got somebody behind that has your back that's why you can start making money yeah that's why youtube subscriptions are important that's why facebook follows followers and likes are important that's why twitter followers are important because you can go to these companies and you can say fifty thousand people follow us on youtube we've got sixty thousand followers on facebook we've got thirty thousand on youtube so this is why all that stuff's important because the more you can show someone who might be a potential sponsor that you do have a following 
And, you know, this is a wise investment for them. I mean, no one's going to look at you if you don't have, you know, the social media numbers that you need to have. It's the same reason why a radio station will play your music. If you've got a total of 100K followers, well, maybe it's something that, you know, we should probably play these guys because they've got a decent following. They've got a pretty good following. They're not going to play you if you got 200 followers. You know, they're not going to do that. Oh, so that's you hit why, it. Yeah. You hit it. Yeah, so that's why they're going to – that's why – Social media is going to become even more important. These shows that people are doing, it's nice right now. It's a novelty, and people are interested in it because they're craving music. But the, in the long term, it's not going to last. It's not going to become a thing. I don't want to sit on my couch, on my laptop computer, and listen to a band play through the speakers on my on my MacBook or laptop or whatever oh, God, you're using. No. I want to go and I want to feel it hit me in the chest. I want to feel those chills go right through me. You know, when, when the opening chord, you know, comes out, when Jack White of the Rank of Tours comes out and starts jamming, I want to see that. I want to see the intro of the Iron Maiden show. I want to see the explosions at a Kiss show or a Motley Crue show. I don't want to watch that stuff. Yeah, you just, you just yeah. said it. We're, we, we are rock and roll. And yeah. you look, look at the, one of the tours that, although it officially has not been canceled yet, but the Motley Crue tour, you just said it. What was one of the biggest topics, funny as it may sound, when they announced that tour? Everybody on social media, one of the most comical things that people talked about, what do you think Tommy's going to do on the drums for this tour? Yep. Kind of funny. But that was that was a viable freaking conversation. But Why? Because if you ever went to a Motley Crue concert, Tommy did something outrageous. Whether it was way back in the day, the first time he had that drum kit start rolling as he played drums, or later on where he had his crazy little roller coaster, Tommy was going to do something special. So that added to it. But you can't get anything out of watching on a TV screen or your iPhone. You know what I mean? And I'm sorry, I am a concert promoter. And here's the other thing. You know, I told you I spoke at MIT for years. And I always said my best advice I could give for me as a promoter, when I'm promoting shows, and I have everybody in the world who's always trying to hire me, especially a lot of bands. I get it all the time. Is there a way we can hire you to promote our shows? Well, other than one or two, probably not because... I always said, you have to believe in the product you are selling. So me as a promoter, when I'm hired by these venues to promote shows, they're not hiring me to promote some tribute band of some artist that I was never into. Because one, the people that follow me, they're most likely not into that band. And I can promote it all I want. Nobody's going to go to the show. And I'm going to be a failed you know, operator for that one. I don't want that to come back on me. But the shows that I, I, I love myself and that I'm promoting, it's easy for me to promote. I'm a fan. I'm all over social media saying these comments about that band. I'll post one of their videos. Oh, God, I, this, oh, I remember when this first video came out and I posted the, the link to YouTube or something like you just said. It's because those shows live are everything. And we know it because if it's on the TV, even if they're doing a live broadcast, that's it's not the energy. You don't feel it doesn't hit your body like you said. The people you don't have the crowd around you. 
The crowd around you is what it's all about, too. That's your moment to share. Yeah. The old days with the powdered ballad, and they everybody started with their lighters. Even now, now people hold up their cell phones. Those are chilling moments. Chilling moments that you don't forget when you look around the room and see everybody with their iPhone even out right now lit up, whatever that song is. You, you, you chill for a moment. That's right. what connects you. And the band is looking out there and they're connected. So we don't have that. So we're going to need that. That is a need society has to have happen in the future. We just got to figure out how to make it safe for everybody, how to make it work financially for everybody. And that's why these bands and artists out there need to start thinking now what they can do to help themselves. That tour with Motley Crue and Def Leppard was such an important tour for rock and roll because as I had my son on earlier this week, one of the questions I asked him, because he's been to a lot of concerts with me, said, are you and your friends now aware of who Motley Crue is? And he's like, absolutely, because of the dirt. And I asked him point blank, would your friends know Motley Crue more or Van Halen more? And he said Motley Crue. Because Van Halen hasn't really done anything in the last 20 years, whereas Motley Crue puts out this movie that every kid heard their parents say, you can't watch it, so now they want to watch it. And if you look at the the Forbes uh, magazine article last year about the demographic change in who's buying Motley Crue's music and merchandise, it went from 35 and over to 35 and under as the majority. So this was a concert tour that was important for younger kids, the younger generation to experience that. And I know there was a lot of pushback from people, you know, in the industry saying, oh, they said they were never going to tour again. Listen, there's only one thing that makes more money than the farewell tour, and that's the reunion tour. And if you think, <laughs> if you think that Motley Crue was going to waste an opportunity with all of them still being alive after that movie came out, to make millions and millions of dollars, you're a fool if you thought that they weren't going to do that. Right. I mean, anyone, anyone in their grandma would have done that. So that, I mean, but I, I'm just yeah, disappointed that some of these shows that are just not going to happen, especially that tour, because I know my 15-year-old son and his friends were pumped and excited about seeing Motley Crue. God, you're making me teary-eyed here thinking about what we're missing <laughs> right now but uh no you're you're right though uh so many of these bands that were huge have connected with younger people some of them have been able to do it better than others and it just goes to the point that it all goes back to live music no matter what's going on with the state of rock and roll the most important thing is is the ability to see these artists on stage it's what produces, like you just said, Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Joan Jett, and especially Poison. If you're going to see these bands out there on the road, the minute that show is done, how many people are racing to pick up a guitar and they, they just, they just, they've gotten it. It's they, they, just, they got their hallelujah moments right there. They may be. How many kids are going with their parents to see a tour like that? that just sat there and made sure that mommy and daddy are getting them a guitar for Christmas. And that's what Santa brings them. And that was it. That may be all for them. That hook, that may be their moment that said, I want to do this. I want to entertain. I want all these people around. When that little kid is looking around and seeing all that, he, he's just, it. wow. 
the kid in the rock and roll candy store. That, uh, that's something pretty darn important. I took my son to see Butch Walker when he was five years old, and he wanted to pick up a guitar after that show. So your words you ring, your words that's, ring true. That's that's the influence of of what is so important and what society is missing out. We can sit here and talk for hours about everybody from the, the you know the, the bus drivers that do the tour buses to the people stocking and selling popcorn at the shows. It, this is right now. This whole coronavirus has infected everybody, but the fact that the live show and what tapers down from that show, we are missing more than anything. I mean, um, you know, everybody's trying to reinvent themselves and do different things. Myself, and and if I can throw a plug out there, which is kind of funny, uh, you know, we've just said it. I March eighth was my last show. Uh, I my last show with 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 Sponge, and uh, how ironic that or uh, that that was it. One of the last songs they played was, you know, Molly, and I love that song. And it was such the fans were just loving it, and and we were talking after the show, and you know, text each other the next day, and it was just really great. And I if I had only known that was my last concert for quite a while, how I how it, more it would have done for me. And now time has gone by and I'm one of those people that I'm in that category four. when will things reopen whenever it does, whenever it does, I'm the last and my job out there. I've been, you know, I haven't had a paycheck for four for, or for two, two months now. I'm still waiting on my first payment from this PUA. I haven't gotten it yet. So, you know, this has hit me hard. We're talking about all these musicians and everybody you've talked about. Guess what? I'm a statistic. I'm a number. So I've been sitting here going, what am I going to do? And believe it or not, it was fans of the music out there that have been hitting me up of late. A lot of them have been saying, you know, of course we miss a lot of music. We miss you, Julian. We miss Mr. 80s. We miss that persona on stage. We miss that voice on the microphone. We miss the music you would play, guest DJing, playing special song sets between each band for that, that, that genre, what, what, whatever it was, what, whether it was taking us back to the nights on the sunset strip or like doing one of those yachtly cruise things where I was playing all this cool yacht rock and you just felt like you were out on a boat in the Marina in 1978 or something like that. So I believe it or not, I started my own internet radio station and I just started it days ago. Um, and it's called Mr. 80s Radio uh, on Live uh, Live 365. Uh, so it's Live 365, Live365.com. And you just type in Mr. 80s, M-R-8-0-S. Uh, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, uh, radio. So Mr. 80s Radio. Uh, it's on all the devices. You can just pull up the Live 365 app on your Android or your iPhone. Uh, and you can just click that on and type in Mr. 80s Radio. Don't use any apostrophes or any of that stuff. And my station will pop on. And I'm playing 24 hours of music of all types of genres. I have a blocks, three-hour blocks. I have a Yacht Rock. I have an 80s hairband station on that. I have New Wave. I have pop, dance, and rock, or, uh, you know, uh, all the pop and, and dance music of the 80s. I have 70s rock. I'm playing glam rock. I even have disco. So all the music 
that I personally love that I miss playing and being around and seeing those shows, I've put together 5,000 songs that are just being played every day constantly. And I recorded all these little Julianisms, these just me trying to connect with you as if I was at a show. And I just started this a few days ago. And the easiest way, as I said, you can just go to actually mr80s.com, mr80s. Uh, radio.com, mysteries.com. And the cool thing is, although I just just figured out how to get this radio station working because this is all new, I'm reinventing myself, is what's coming. And what I've decided to do, and you really, really, really inspired me on this, is I want to start doing live segments on my radio station, just as any other radio station was out there. And I want to start inviting all my rock and roll celebrity friends to come on my little station and use that to tell us what they're up to. What are they doing right now? And what do they want to do in the near future? I want them to reach out to the fans out there. And so I kind of created a platform that will be able to do that in the near future. How great for me will it be? Like I made the joke about Eric Singer was the one that gave me the moniker, Mr. 80s. Well, I want to get Eric on the show and just happen to be playing my music and play all those cool Sunset Strip 80s hair bands we never hear anymore that even the top 40 rock stations out there are never playing and play those deep cuts of all those great bands we haven't heard. But let me get guys on there. Let me call up Don Dawkins and Eric Singer and all the rest of them I know and just get on the line and just say, hey, how you been? As long- you know what? I bet they can't. As long as you play yeah. the Eric Singer project, I'm good. Oh, EST. Are you kidding? <laughs> I love I'm that. I'm going to play. And, and that's what I wanted to see. That's just it. That's what inspired me to do this. Like you said, I want to get on with Eric and I want to just bullshit with him for a few minutes and then play. Of course, yeah, whoop de doo we can play some Kiss. But no, you hit it. I bet if I started playing some Union and some ESP, in some bad lands, oh, people yeah. are going to, what are they going to do? They're going to do just, just that. They're going to go, oh my God, I forgot about this. Oh my God, that, oh, that cult. And that's what I, that's why I created this radio station. I'm trying to do my hand. How can I, Mr. 80s is a promoter who has no concerts to promote right now. What can I do to make all the people out there? I used to also make a joke. Every show that I did, Everybody comes up to me every single show and they shake my hand and they hug me and they say, thank you. And they go, I don't know how to thank you for putting the show together or, or however they conceive my involvement was with that show. And the only, all I do is every single time for all these decades, I look them right in the face and I truly say, no, thank you. I would not have a job if you people didn't come out and what support rock and roll, support live music. I put it in my hashtag. I always do those 30 maximum hashtags every Instagram post. Hashtag support live music. Support local music. And that only happens if everybody out there comes to shows. When we get back to music live, the only thing that's going to help is if you all come out when it's safe to do so, but to all come out and do it. So that's one of the things, like I said, I hope this Mr. 80s radio I have uh, does something because I would love to get all the rock and roll people out there 
on my show. Hey, call it whatever you want, call it ego, but it's time I call in my markers. I think uh, uh, for a couple decades of some of these bands, all I've done is sit there and got people to their show. I think I reserve the right to, for a few of them to say, hey, give me 10 minutes on air and, and say hi to everybody. But more importantly, let them know that you as the band, you as the artist, you guys are thinking of the fans. You know, we're all missing the shows, but, you know, let's hear it from them. A lot of them are, are dead quiet in the water, like you said. You know, we're not hearing from any of these bands right now. So I hope I hope this new radio station I did, uh, you know, gets people listening. And it's 24 hours. You can log on anytime, and I bet you you're going to hear a song you like. Uh, so hopefully your uh, your fans out there will listen. And hopefully for all of them, uh, if you go to mr80s.com, I even put up a thing on there so you can you know comment and ask questions and give suggestions. And that's what I'm going to use. I hope soon to do some, uh, try some Facebook lives, you know, do like an all hour of requests and I'm live on Facebook with everybody I know and have them, like you said, you know, ESP project. Hell yeah. Whatever your artist is out there, you haven't heard for a while. Let me know. And I'll play that right there on the station live. You know, I, we're all, we talked about hashtags, right? A minute ago, hashtag, we're all in this together. You see the news and you see people, the kids doing the chalk, chalk the walk thing and putting chalk on their sidewalks. And you see banners of businesses, you know, that in hand painted little posters, they put it, we're all in this together. Well, we are meaning everybody from the person that goes to a show that buys and downloads an album to the musician and artists that are writing the songs that are, you know, making and singing the songs to, Everybody behind the scenes, from every recording artist, art, you know, recording business to the actual tours that work on the tours and that are doing everything, we are all in this together. And I really hope that we do not want, let rock die. That we come together, and although we know it's taken a hit, and it is going to take a hit, and we're going to lose a lot of bands out there, and it's going to take a while for people to feel safe to come to shows. I think if we all remember, you know, it can come back. I told you I'm a speaker at the travel and adventure shows and, uh, I'm doing a bunch of work for them right now, uh, where I get to speak. They have a hashtag for back to travel and it's a campaign they launched basically saying the same thing as the message we're talking about here with rock music. They are telling people that we can't travel. You can't go to Europe. We don't know when that's going to happen, but Dream it, plan it. That's their advice. Travel will come back. And I've said that in some promo ads for them where I look into the crap, you know, camera and I say, you know, we as people, people come back, travel comes back. And travel is all going to be there. The demand is going to be there. People are not going to want to just stay home. People are aching to get out. Well, there's, whether it's locally going to see parts of America or finally when they're allowed to and feel safe, that they can go over to Europe and, and go to the, you know, wherever, go to, you know, Asia, South America, wherever it is, they're going to travel. Travel comes back. Music, concerts, music will survive. It's going to take a hit, but it will survive. But there's also a responsibility. If you love music, then you've got to do your part. And that's, again, that's the only thing I can say to everybody out there. I hope everybody comes together 
and we keep it alive. Even if it's on a heartbeat for a while that we get that heart pumping and we get everything we want back again. It may be different. It may change. It may look different. It may sound a little different, but no matter what music is ours and let's build a new future around what we love so much and that has given us so much, you know? Well, on that note, um, I thank you for doing this. Is there anything else you want to plug besides Mr. 80s? Um, you know, yeah, I guess it's the, to plug if there's anything, like I said, uh, to find out more about me and who I am for those that might know already, I got the chance to talk about Mr80sradio.com, which is brand new. But obviously, we talked about social media. I am all over social media. And Instagram is where I try to do a lot of what I do. So uh, Julian Douglas, at Julian Douglas uh, on Instagram. Uh, you can find me there. And Listen Journey Saver. Listen Journey Saver. L-I-S-T-E-N, Journey, J-O-U-R-N-E-Y, Saver, S-A-V-O-R. Listen, Journey Saver is the blogs that I start that I started writing about, uh, about my time all across, you know, traveling the world and music, food, and of course, travel. So I have a lot of blogs up there. There's going to be a lot of interviews coming, uh, including YouTube. Uh, I'm giving my YouTube, but I just started a YouTube channel like a couple days ago. I don't even know what the heck the link is. I know it's Julian Douglas and Listen, Journey Saver. Uh, and I've got some stuff up there. So all of that will be on my social media. So uh, it's a great way to find me. It's a great way to find out about the bands I'm working with and what they're doing. So I hope, if anything, please uh, follow me on Instagram. I would love that. Uh, and you can follow Listen Journey Saver on, on Facebook. Uh, Julian Douglas on my Facebook, unfortunately, is always maxed out 5,000. I can't do anything about that. But uh, I am on Twitter. I never really use Twitter. I, I bounce it off my Instagram, but that's at Julian Douglas. But I'd really love anybody out there to follow me on Instagram. I post pictures and videos of everything I'm up to. And uh, definitely Mr. 80s Radio is going to be something. I, I can't wait to get together with all my rock and roll friends and let them speak, talk to everybody. So, I definitely will. Go. I definitely will throw those links out when this episode airs. And uh, absolutely, man, you were awesome. I'd love to do another episode with you on the uh, Sunset Strip back in the heyday. I'm sure you've got a lot of stories. Oh, that I we would could, love to. That would be great. I would Get love to do that. Three hours. Uh, um, but yeah, no, yeah, a three-hour tour with Mister Eighty talking about. We'll do like a, strip. We'll do like a, <laughs> we'll do like a trilogy: hour one, hour two, hour three. Yes, exactly. Well, um, fantastic. Well, Julian, it was great. Thank you very much. A lot of great insight. Great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Once again, everybody, that's Julian Douglas. I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. You can find us on Facebook at The Hook Rocks. You can find us on Twitter at The Hook Rocks. Y'all take care, and we will chat again soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 